Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic today is confrontation, and most of us do not find confrontation pleasant, and so we run from it at all costs, even to our detriment, all too often. While that may sound strange to say, not engaging in confrontation when appropriate will lead to many things not getting resolved and all while keeping us in a bitter, angry, resentful place in our lives. So let's start off looking at the dictionary on this word. And it says, to face, especially in challenge. Second definition, to cause to meet, bring face to face. Encounter. Third definition, the clashing of forces or ideas, as in conflict. Now, some of these definitions sound really harsh, really bad, potentially really hateful, and as if we have no business doing anything like this if we are really good, God-honoring Christians, right? Wrong. Very, very wrong. Did you know it's okay, although the direct result of sin, that we are in a world filled with conflict that demands confrontation? Jesus himself was involved in perpetual confrontation and conflict, and he, by example, taught us how to engage in conflict slash confrontation in a very God-honoring way. We also tend to get wrapped up and consider that confrontation is always against another person, as in war or arguing, screaming and yelling. But that is not true either. Think about it. How often do we engage in self-confrontation, self-conflict in our own personal lives? I give this message a title of In the Ring with God, and that is because that is where we spend way too much of our time in our lives in conflict and confrontation with God. And please don't say you don't do that, because you do. And if you truly don't, there is a good chance you do not have a relationship with God. Example, anytime you get angry at what you have or get angry at your circumstances and whine and grumble, you are going into the ring with God and confronting him on your disapproval of your circumstances and where he has allowed you to be. Just to make sure I always stay on the up and up and honest with you, yes, just because I might have the ability to teach and present things in a way that makes sense does not mean that I am any good at following the advice I dispense from God's Word. I confront God on a regular basis and sometimes on a daily basis, but God did not ask me to wallow in guilt over these times. God does, however, check me on my confronting Him for selfish reasons. So let's go now to God's Word and take a look at a very compelling encounter of someone who went into the ring with God. Genesis 32, 1-21, and I'm going to give a brief rundown on the beginning of this passage just so you have a precursor and context for our main point in the passage coming up. This passage begins with Jacob sending messengers to his brother Esau that he, Jacob, was staying nearby with his cattle and servants. The messenger returns to Jacob saying, Esau's coming to meet you with 400 of his men. And on hearing the news, Jacob was afraid of what his brother Esau might do. And so Jacob divided his servants and cattle up into separate groups and scattered them throughout the region in an attempt to avoid Esau being able to wipe out all of his servants and cattle in one blow. Jacob then prays to God and begs God to save him from being killed by Esau but fully recognizes, however, that God made a promise to him. 
And that promise God made to Jacob was this, quote, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob then takes a number of each of his cattle and servants and says, go meet his brother Esau and his 400 men and to tell him that Jacob has a gift of cattle for you. And Jacob did this in hopes that it would please Esau and cause him to change his mind on taking revenge on Jacob and his camp. The passage then goes on and tells us that when everyone had left the camp that day to go ahead of him and meet his brother Esau, and when Jacob was alone that night in the camp, Jacob jumped into the ring with God. And so we arrive at the main point of our passage, Genesis 32:22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. I think this is quite the confrontation and quite a long wrestling match with God. Or was it really short? Now, on a brief side note, I believe based on scripture, it should be understood that some believe that Jacob wrestled with an angel. However, we can see clearly that Jacob did not wrestle with an angel because Jacob states, I saw God face to face. In addition to that, Jacob never says he saw an angel, but rather a man. Could this, however, potentially indicate that this man was a member of the Godhead who later would be revealed to us as the Son of God, Jesus the Savior? And isn't it very likely that this was indeed God the man that Jacob wrestled with then, just like the same God in Genesis 12:7, The Lord appeared to Abram. And the same God in Genesis 17:1, When Abram was 99, the Lord appeared to him. Genesis 18:1, And this time the Lord appears to Abraham. Then appears to Isaac, Genesis 26, 2 and 24. So how might we suggest further that these appearances of God were not God in God form, but God in man form? Because we know from scripture that no one has ever seen God, not even Adam and Eve. They never laid eyes on God. And again, keep in mind, Jacob says he was wrestling with a man, not an angel. I certainly think Jacob was smart enough to know the difference. In addition, God's word clearly states 16 times from Deuteronomy to Acts, that no one has ever seen God. Two very direct examples for you. First, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That's clear. And Exodus 33.20, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So that makes it quite clear that no one has seen God in God form. 
Inasmuch, however, we do get to see God and touch God as the Son of Man, Son of God, Savior, fully God, fully man. And not only does this indicate a Godhead, it also represents further proof that God did show himself as a human, that we may truly see and touch, just like Jacob got to do with God in his man form. Now let's jump back into the ring with Jacob and see why he was wrestling with God in the first place. After all, God called Jacob out before his birth as the one he would love. Romans 9.13, Jacob I loved. But Jacob struggled a good bit in his life wrestling with God. Jacob was born a supplanter, meaning someone taking the place of another as through force, scheming, strategy, and that happened. But nonetheless, God loved Jacob so much that he took the time to wrestle with him. On one more side note, isn't it awesome that God loved and loves some pretty rotten people? And even though they were rotten, he never let them go. Imagine God being perfectly okay because he loves you so much that he has no problem going into the ring with you. And why? The same reason he did it for Jacob. God wanted to grow Jacob and he wants to grow you. And God is willing to go hand to hand with you right now, this evening when you're alone and focused on him. But Jacob did not walk away from this confrontation unscathed. God touched Jacob's hip and caused physical pain and left him with a physical reminder, and that of a limp. Before we move on, let's examine one particular sentence in our text. And it says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. On the surface, this sounds as though Jacob might not have been wrestling with God or any heavenly being for that matter. Certainly, if this was God, couldn't God win the match? How could God not overpower a simple human? Can we really beat God? Is God not who he really claims to be? And this is not what the passage represents at all. This is, however, a beautiful representation of God lovingly trying to get through to Jacob as the match goes on through the night, and as Jacob is thrashing and swinging and rolling around and trying to pin God down, all while God keeps Jacob in check in hopes that Jacob will eventually get the drift that what he is attempting isn't right and won't work. And we know this because God did physically stop Jacob and ended the match by wrenching his hip. It sounds to me that God did not want to go that route and gave Jacob all night to come to his senses. But in the end, Jacob refused to get it and refused to let down his pride and ego. And so God said essentially, okay, you're not getting this. And I have given you every opportunity to give up and you are just simply not listening. So here goes. And to all that you might say, and that's exactly why I don't tangle with God. But what if tangling with God, going into the ring with God, is the very thing that you need to become the person God so desires you to be? What if God uses a really good wrestling match to transform you, just as he did Jacob? What if this is the only way you will get it? Are you going to hold out on God? Well, if you do hold out on God, you are already in a wrestling match and in combat with God over not wanting to wrestle. Think about it. Question is, how long before God puts an end to your match? And this goes back to last week's study on faith and risk. Jacob certainly took a risk wrestling with God, but it was worth every ounce of risk. The question is, are you willing to take the risk and go to God face to face and wrestle out your struggles and your hurts and your feelings 
and in full faith that God will do what is best for you to grow you in ways you never imagined you could be grown. Am I saying that we have to be so stubborn and prideful that we have to wrestle with God? No, but many of us are too prideful to even go to God and wrestle honestly. Before this wrestling match with God, however, Jacob was physically and mentally unbroken, and Jacob was physically and mentally strong, just like many of us. I believe God allowed this time in Jacob's life in the ring to show Jacob how human he was, that he wasn't invincible and all-powerful. And God chose Jacob's hip muscle as an effective place to get his attention. God used a physical pain, wrenching of the hip, and a physical result to wake Jacob up. And we see throughout Scripture that God used various and numerous touch points in people's lives just as he does today. Oh, that must have hurt when God did that. I've wrenched my back, hurt my hip and other large muscles, and it is certainly very uncomfortable. I too have walked away from sports, hiking, working, and have been in agony in the next day. And it sometimes lasts for days. Pain day and night, and sometimes even walking around looking half crippled and far slower than I did going into the debilitating activity. Sounds just like Jacob. Great going into the ring, uncomfortable coming out. But while we are in that pained state, we typically never go back to the thing or place where we got hurt. We only typically go back to it after we are all better. Huh. But if your limp and pain remain, you will likely never forget and never go back to that place where it happened ever again. And this sounds exactly like someone else who we know and love. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me, Paul, from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't this exactly what God did with Jacob? But why? Again, I believe it is because it slows us down and forces us to consider our movement, our actions, much more carefully than if we felt perfectly fine. After all, when we feel perfectly fine, we don't have much need to think before we do and really don't need to rely on God. And that is exactly what God does not want of us, doing without thinking. And so when we are hot-headed, stubborn, pushy, obnoxious, wayward, and you can fill in the blanks for your personal life, He will allow us to wrestle with Him, and only because He loves us so much that He will bless us, yes, bless us with a loving reminder of where we are to never go again, and that of back to where we were. After wrestling for many years with God and not letting go, and wanting to win, and wanting to be right, and wanting it my way, God touched me, except in my case, He wrenched my brain. And God touched me in a way I will never forget. Again, God touches people where He knows it will have the most impact in their lives. Already in my wrestling match with God and with no end in sight of my giving up until I won, God began to bring my match with Him to an end, and in 2001, He touched me with seizures that appeared out of the blue. The seizures terrified and angered me, 
Doctors couldn't figure it out and decided that I was healthy and fit and there was no reason for them other than the possibility of having developed epilepsy. My anger and fear were out of control with God. I was given anticonvulsants in an attempt to stop the seizures, but not until the third medication did they stop. Again, another touch, touch number two by God on my life, and I was still in full fight mode. During the same time, God allowed me to witness American Airlines Flight 77 flying to the Pentagon on September 11th of 2001. Touch number three by God on my life, and I was still in full fight mode and now wrestling even more wildly with God. In the meantime, I got married, moved across the country, bought a house, and welcomed into the world our first child. But one year later, in 2005, I was diagnosed with a potentially lethal benign brain tumor. Touch number four by God on my life, and now I was terrified and begging God to spare my life. I was now facing immediate brain surgery, but with a few days to essentially sign my life away should the surgery fail. Time to prepare that I may not come off the table alive or in a vegetative state and need care for the rest of my life. I finally began to see the bigger picture and that it was time to face God and give up and listen to Him, because this touch was truly profound and left an emotional mark on my life. I made a deal with God prior to going under for the 10 hour and 30 minute surgery. The deal? I will tell the world about you if you allow me to fully recover. Even that was arrogant, but God in his grace and love heard me. And so he answered that plea and accepted my deal, but left me with a physical reminder, a mark, a scar on my head of what he did for me and he left an indelible mark on my heart as well. And what I realize today is that the number of times he touched me, wrenched me, were designed to slow me down, cause me to think, cause me to submit, and ultimately never forget, both emotionally and physically, where I had come from, and to never go back. Better still, I can so relate to Paul in this aspect, because if I would not have this thorn in my side that remains, the reminder, the memory of where I came from, the battle I did with God, I would be so arrogant, bratty, expectant, obnoxious all over again. Perhaps it was exactly the same for Jacob and Paul. Perhaps God has left you with a, quote, limp, or better still, waiting for you in the ring. I can safely say I am so happy God loved me enough to let me wrestle with him and for years, not just one night, and to take me to the best place I have ever been here today doing his work. My hope for you is that you too, if you are in the ring with God, potentially now, that you will dump your ego and pride and confess, and if need be, truly repent. Remember this, God did not stop Jacob or Paul from moving forward. He simply kept them from going backward. And I know that this is what God has done for me. If you are in a similar situation, whether in the wrestling stage, the wrenching stage, or in the limp stage. Look in God's face and say thank you, because God only chastens those he loves. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, most merciful and gracious God, for allowing us to come and wrestle with you. You are so awesome and so loving, even while we are so stubborn, arrogant, and prideful. You so lovingly and so tenderly guide us through these raging storms of life, and yet you do what is best, even when we get angry and potentially hate you for it in the heat of the moment. 
Thank you for the scars you have left us with as a reminder of where never to go again. Keep these reminders, these thorns in our flesh for as long as we are on this earth, both to keep us in line and as a tool we will use to help others see your great love and care for each of us who call on your name and trust you for the excellent work you do in and out of the ring. Thank you for making those who are touched and wrenched examples for the world and please fill us with encouragement to go use what you have given us to your honor and glory. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.